Second Corinthians chapter two. Did did uh, somebody pass out the the outlines? There you go. Yeah, and um, this figures that this is always the way this this happens. But I printed these things out, and then I realized because all I do when I when I do new outlines or new you know any of these kind of things, I just copy the the last one that I did and make the changes to it. And I forgot to change the, the heading on this outline, so I went back, changed the heading, printed them all out again on the other side of the paper, and then I brought the one that I messed up on. So you have the wrong one in your hands, but uh, the outline is right, the heading is wrong, all right? Uh, because we're starting kind of a new series, same, same general idea of what we were talking about, of, of course, soul winning. Um, uh, yours is the, basically the advantages of personal uh, soul winning. What we're going to talk about now and for the next couple weeks is enemies of soul winning. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 10, we see this. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I, gave you, if I forgave you anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You can cross off what you have there and write that on the top. That's the title tonight, is Lest Satan Should Get an Advantage. Now, Paul's immediate context here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is about forgiveness. And um, Paul essentially said that if he allowed a lack of forgiveness to flourish in his life, he would be giving us, uh, Satan a tremendous advantage over him. Um, but he also uses that word devices here. And I think that's really given us an indication that Satan has more than one device of bitterness or holding a grudge or whatever to gain an advantage over us. In other words, one of the clear applications, I believe, of this passage is that Satan is actively seeking to get an advantage over us by way of his devices so that he can negatively impact our Christianity. That's what Satan's job is. I mean... Um, if you were to look at a job description, that's what he's trying to do. However, he can get an advantage over us. Times have changed, but the, the tools are the same. And the devil is, I mean, if you go back for thousands of years and you look at the devices that the devil has used to try to get people to fall away from Christ, they're almost still the exact same today as they were 2,000 years ago. Uh, times have changed, and maybe the method that he uses to get those things to us have changed a little bit, but they're still the same devices. And there, it's, it's amazing when you think about it that those devices have worked for so long and yet so many times we fall prey to it over and over and over and over again. But the Bible says in 1 Peter that the devil is out as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And how does he do that? He uses these devices to try to get an advantage over us. Now, he cannot take away our salvation. In fact, let's go over to John chapter 10. If someone were to... You know, we always say that. You can't lose your salvation. Well, how do you know that? The Bible says it. Where? Well, John chapter 10 is one of those places. By the way, this is good news as well. I heard back from the printer. Uh, those books are supposed to be in on Monday. So next Wednesday, we'll plan to go over these books and get the program started and all of that. So, um, but this is one of the verses that you'll definitely memorize in, that, um, in, in one of those sections in the book. But John 10, 27, the Bible says this, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. In other words, once we become gods, nobody and nothing can take us out of the Father's hands. That means 
you're not strong enough to take yourself out of the Father's hand either. There's been a lot of people who have left the faith, give up on Christ. I don't want to be saved anymore. You're going to find out when you get to heaven that you're glad you still are. Because you cannot lose that salvation no matter how far you fall away from God, no matter how hard you try. Now, somebody that's doing that, I would question whether or not they were really saved in the first place. But you cannot lose your salvation. So he cannot take away our salvation, but, and this is number one there, I believe, on your sheet, he can largely limit our effectiveness for the cause of Christ. He can't take, he can't take away our salvation, but he can limit our effectiveness for Jesus Christ. Now, let me briefly remind you some, of some examples. You have some verses there. Let's turn to these real quick. First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. Is there any extra of those sheets? Does somebody have the stack of them? Brother Josh, yeah, if you can give me one. I usually, I usually grab one, and, and that way I can kind of make sure. I've, my outline is different than yours. Thank you. First Chronicles chapter 21. And verse number one, and this is, this is David here, and, and this happened several times in the life of David, unfortunately, but this is a perfect uh, um, example, and, and a very clear example, I should say. First uh, Chronicles 21.1, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. <clears throat> that was wrong, because God had told them not to do that, because all it was was basically for pride. This is how many people I have. Satan provoked him to do that. Here's another one. Turn over to Luke 22. Luke 22 and verse number 31. So David is an example of the way that Satan limited David's effectiveness. Here's a way that he limited, uh, that he limited Peter's effectiveness for Christ. Luke 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And he goes on, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not and so on. Uh, but Jesus was basically telling Peter that he was going to deny him three times. And he's, he's not saying that Satan made him do it, but he's saying Satan wants to tear you apart. And obviously he, he ended up doing that in a way. And Peter here denied Christ three times before the, 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 uh, the cock crowed and, and Peter went out and wept. But here's another one in Acts chapter 5. We had David, we had Peter, and here's the the example of Ananias in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Now, none of these men lost their salvation. Uh, but in all of them, Satan clearly gained quite an advantage over them. And that's not just limited to individuals. Look, we took a, a quite a bit of time to go through the churches in Revelation. Remember that? And how many times did we see uh, in Revelation chapter two and verse uh, Revelation chapter two and chapter three, in in that section of of talking about those seven churches, Satan is directly referenced as attacking those churches four times out of the seven churches. So it's not just attacking individuals; he's attacking churches at the same time. And and I don't, I don't particularly like preaching about Satan. It always seems like we're giving him more attention than he deserves when you bring his name up and talk about him and all of that stuff. But I, I cannot allow that to keep me from preaching about him. He's mentioned dozens of times in Scripture. And the reason he's mentioned is because God wants us to be aware that Satan is trying to get an advantage over us. And he's clearly a personality of great power. He's actively opposed to God in every way. He's actively opposed to God's work in every way. And just as clearly, 
we don't have a, a need to fear him, but we do have a, scripturally, a, a scriptural mandate to be aware of how he works. And if we don't know how Satan works, if we don't know what Satan's devices are, then we are very uh, much, much more likely to fall prey to those devices. I read a quote that said this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever, the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he didn't exist. And this is not going to be a series on spiritual warfare, although that might be something that we do uh, in the future. But instead, this is going to be a series that will be aimed really more narrowly at how Satan works in attacking the tremendously important area of soul winning, uh, witnessing, evangelism, all of those things. This series is going to be on the enemies of soul winning. And, you know, I started thinking about it. I went went. You know, just kind of went back in my mind, and, and I've been in church since the day that I was born, so well over 36 years now that I've been in church, and I've been paying pretty close attention for about 25 of those years, you know. You don't really start paying attention until you're 10, 12, 15 years old, um, and I've been in the ministry now for 15 years, and I've been, over the years, I've been very actively involved in three different churches, one in Indiana, one down in Chesterfield, and then obviously this one, and, and I, but, I've, but I've been... Because I had the opportunity to travel, I traveled in a singing group for a couple of years, and we went to, I don't know, I could probably say hundreds of churches. And then, then we traveled on deputation for, you know, 16, 17 months, and, and we were in close to 100 churches there. And I think, I think all churches kind of deal with the same thing, um, but, but I think there's four very hard things to get churches and churches, church members to do um, in, really, in order of difficulty, easiest to hardest, and, and I think um, they're this, getting people to give sacrificially. Um, and I'm not going to elaborate on any of these necessarily, but, but people relatively quickly come around to that idea, especially when they start to get right with God. But getting people to give up their wrong music, getting women to dress modestly, and getting Christians to be active soul winners. That is the absolute hardest thing in any church, is to get Christians to be active soul winners. Uh, and, and I don't know why. Or I shouldn't say I don't know why. I do know why. It's because the devil is fighting so hard against those things. Um, because there's no, there's no area that the devil loses ground quicker in than if he's got a church full of people that are actively trying to win souls for Jesus Christ. So it's very obvious that the devil is going to be the enemy of soul winning. Uh, the more people that are one for Jesus Christ, that's more people that he is losing to his kingdom and to, and to people who can actively promote his agenda. And the more people who get saved, the more people who can obviously, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but who can actively promote the agenda of Jesus Christ and win more people for Christ. So tonight, let's look at this idea of lest Satan should get an advantage. And the first thing that I want to look at is why does the devil fight so hard against so many? I kind of mentioned a couple of these briefly, but the first reason is because it directly and immediately impacts the population of heaven and hell. By the way, and you probably don't write very much. I do a lot, and, and anytime you see my notes, I always capitalize heaven and I always capitalize hell because those are not just ideas. Those are real places, and you always capitalize the name of a place, right? Uh, and it's not that somebody that puts lowercase heaven is, is, you know, oh, they don't think heaven's real. 
But if heaven's a real place, and you believe that heaven's a real place, and if hell is a real place, and if you believe that hell's a real place, I'm always going to capitalize it when we put it in, uh, in text, because it is a real place. I am looking forward to a real heaven, and I'm trying to warn people against a real hell. I want to go to heaven, and I want them to go there. I don't want to go to hell, and I don't want others to go there. Um, but that's, that is why Satan fights so hard against soul winning is because it, uh, it directly and immediately impacts the population of heaven and hell. And you don't have to turn over there necessarily unless you want to, but Psalm chapter 9 and verse number 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. The devil fights so hard against soul winning because the, every single person that accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior is one less person that's going to spend an eternity in hell with him and one more person that's going to spend an eternity in heaven with God. The second reason is because it directly attacks the purpose of Christ's work and the purpose of the church. Uh, the devil attacking soul winning is directly attacking the purpose of why Jesus Christ came to this earth and it's directly attacking the purpose of the church. The church's job is to spread the message of the gospel. It's to carry out the Great Commission. The devil fears a praying Christian and he fears a praying church more than a soul winning Christian and a soul winning church. But a, a Christian or a church that isn't soul winning is not much of a problem to the devil. Now, a church that is, that is praying is going to be a witnessing church. A Christian that is a praying Christian is going to be a witnessing Christian. And so prayer, I think a praying Christian is more of a problem for the devil than a soul-winning Christian, but a soul-winning Christian is not much of a problem for the devil. Uh, I mean, a, a Christian that's not soul-winning is not much of a problem for him. Um, the church can be a wonderful church. It could be honest. You know, the Christians could be honest, good, kind, compassionate, friendly, all of those things. Um, but that's only light shining in light places, shining where light already is, you know. If you're a good Christian in church, then you're only light shining where light is already shining. We need to be Christians outside of the church, and we need to be witnesses for Christ because that means we are lights shining in the dark areas where there is no light. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. A, a, a church that's like that and a Christian that's like that, no matter how good they're living, is not fulfilling the purpose for why they were reached in the first place. Reaching the lost is why Jesus came. And, and you could probably quote a couple of these verses. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, I mean, you think about all the reasons why Jesus could have come. Well, he came to die on the cross. Yes, but why? Well, he came to, to fulfill the law. Yes, but why? Well, he came to teach us the right way that we should live, to follow God's word. Yes, but why? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the reason why Jesus came. And by the devil getting us to not go out and win souls, he is directly attacking the purpose of Christ's work. Uh, reaching the lost was his last and greatest commandment to us. And you see that in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, right? He said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. No matter what else good that we're doing, if we're not doing this, we're not achieving the purpose that Christ saved us for personally or as a church. Here's a third reason why the devil fights so hard against soul winning, and that's because it indirectly impacts the vigor of a church. It indirectly impacts the vigor of a church. The healthiest church in the New Testament was the first one in Acts, right? Um, it's not, not a coincidence that it was also the most evangelistic church. 
probably in, in the entire Bible, the entire New Testament especially, if all the church focuses on is soul winning, it becomes imbalanced. And I've seen that happen many times in churches as well. But a church that doesn't focus on soul winning becomes very anemically weak. And, and I've seen that dozens of times as well. Every great church has several things in common, and I think the first and foremost things in that church is that they have a, they have a, a vision to reach people for Jesus Christ. There's, look, we, we looked at a lot of different churches in the New Testament. I think all said and done, we probably looked at 13 or 14 churches in the New Testament. And we saw a lot of things that, were, that made those churches good and even great churches. But you see the ones that were the greatest in God's eyes were the churches that were very actively evangelistic, very actively trying to get the message of the gospel out. And number seven, soul winning is like exercise. Soul winning is to our spiritual well-being what exercise is to our physical well-being. And, you know, it gets your blood moving. It gets your muscles working. It results, uh, the results continue on for a while after you stop. It makes you happier. It makes you healthier. It makes you stronger makes you feel better. It helps you avoid sickness. It helps you recover quicker when you do get sick. I mean, those are all the benefits of, of physical exercise. But those are all the exact same benefits to our spiritual health when we go out and we actively are involved in soul winning for, for Jesus Christ. You know, uh, soul winning does all of that and more for your spiritual health. So the second question then, and, and we'll be very brief on this, is how does the devil fight against soul winning? And this is kind of what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks. Um, but without having the time to get into the, any of the specific things tonight, let me give you two areas in, in which he produces um, a two-pronged attack. And the first thing is that this attack is aimed at Christians personally and corporately. And when I say corporately, and, and we're going to use that word a, a fair amount, corporately means just as a church, as a whole group. Uh, the, the devil is going to attack us in that way. He's going to attack us personally as Christians, but if he can get one Christian here and one Christian there and another Christian here, then he gets us as a church. He gets us corporately at the same time. He's going to try to keep you from starting soul winning. And if you're already soul winning, he's going to try to get you to stop soul winning. He's going to try to, to keep a church from soul winning. And if the church is already a soul winning church, he's going to try to get you to stop. I mean, look, look at how effective he is in this time right now. You know, and, and uh, again, I'm not criticizing churches that have closed. I understand exactly why. Their hands are tied. They almost cannot do it. Um, but, but think about how easy that was for him to stop anything spiritual. You know? I mean, think about how many people, you know, you would hope that, that the people who are no longer going to be able to go to their churches for the next however many weeks will sit in on the live stream and watch it. But, but some of them won't, Right? You'd hope that they would get together as a family and read the Bible since they can't be at church, but, but a lot of them won't. And so now here over the next two, three, four weeks or more, how many people are not even going to get anything from the Word of God? You know? And the devil wins in those situations. And that's what, he, that's what he's going to keep trying to do. He's going to try to keep coming up with all of these different things. By the way, here's something to think about and, and even pray about. And, and we're a little bit past this now, so it doesn't affect us as much. But you think about all these um, uh, church plants that are starting in schools. And that's where they're meeting. And, and they're not allowing them to meet in those places anymore. They can't. So let's say they had a group of 25 people. And now for the next two months, they can't meet in this school. 
I mean, that's going to be devastating to a lot of these churches. And a lot of them can't handle the, you know, I mean, they're barely scraping by as it is. Yeah, the, right. And they're all closed. They're all closed. And, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking kind of maybe more along our stripe of people are looking for places that are, you know, that are schools and stuff like that because that's kind of more what they can afford. And, you know, you try to stay out of the theater if you can. Um, but, you know, they're, they're scraping by week to week. Now what happens when they don't have anybody giving because, you know, they had visitors coming in that were just kind of helping that. I mean, they're, they're going to be struggling. And there's going to be a lot of churches, I think, that fail over the next couple of weeks because they can't keep the doors open, you know? Not to mention the fact that here you finally got somebody that's maybe coming for two or three, four weeks in a row, and now they don't go to church for two months. They're completely out of the habit. They haven't been in church in a long time. I mean, there's it's a lot of things that are happening because of this. And so, you know, think about it when you're when you're spending time in prayer in the morning or whenever you get the opportunity to pray. Pray for the, and, and it doesn't even have to be, oh, that specific church, but, but churches in general. There's a lot of churches that, that are, you know, uh, kind of a part of Baptist church planting ministries like we are, who are, you know, not as far along as we are because they're only a year old. You know, they don't, they don't have the, 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 the opportunity to have a building and those kind of things. And it's going to really, really impact a lot of them. But that's how the devil fights, you know. And, and if he can knock off some new Christians... Or some people who are really interested in, in accepting Christ, if he can knock them off now, he wins, you know? And that's why he's going to keep fighting them. And here's, here's the other thing, number nine. The two means of attack are both doctrinal and practical. When I say doctrinal, doctrinal the devil has a number of faulty doctrines that he gets people and, and churches to embrace. And when they embrace those things, the practical result is that their soul winning is severely undermined, if not eliminated, because of certain doctrines that they have and hold to. We'll look at some of those doctrines over the next few weeks. Some you may know, some you may be surprised by, but some are fine when they are held in balance, but then when they are taken to the extreme, they eliminate a soul winning program. And the devil wins in that case. So all of the ones that we're going to look at have directly, in my experience, negatively impacted soul winning. We'll look at those over the next few weeks. But then the other way that he fights against soul winning is in a very practical way and there are certain ways of thinking and feeling and acting that are prevalent in a lot of people in a lot of churches that result in a decrease of soul winning. And when I say practically, I mean the devil can say, well, you know, how, how do you think they're going to look at you when you go knock on their door? Or how do you think they're going to handle it when you're trying to give them the gospel and trying to shove it down their throat? And, you know, all the things that we talked about last week, really, that people use as excuses. But we're going to deal with those as well. The, the purpose of this, honestly, is to make sure that, that soul winning... We have this as our theme this year anyway, but the whole purpose of why we're going to go through these things the next few weeks is to make sure that soul winning stays front and center in our church. It's, it's, it's so important for any church, but it's especially important for ours because we are a new church. And if we're not actively trying to win souls, and it's very easy for us now with 50 people coming on Sunday mornings to get comfortable where we are and think we can just keep, keep on going like this. And it's very easy to fall into that trap. You know, before we were, oh, we only got 20 people. We got to keep going. We got, and then you kind of get used to it. And then everything's just, you know, church as usual. And, and we can fall into those traps. And we, we've got to make sure that soul winning stays front and center. Turn, turn over back again one more time to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. One pastor of the past said it this way. The devil is after the fruit trees. The 
devil's after the fruit tree. That's number 10 there. And what we're building here in this little intersection is a fruit tree. The devil wants us. The devil's going to come after the fruit bearing directly. We have to pay attention. We have to stay sharp. We have to watch and pray. And we have to make sure that soul winning stays front and center. Lest, 2 Corinthians 2, 11, Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That's why we're going to talk about the enemies of soul winning. If we're ignorant of his devices, he has the advantage. He has the advantage because we're ignorant. Ignorance is not an excuse. But that's what we're going to make sure we don't have is ignorance so that we don't have an excuse and that we can get out there and continue to win souls for Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. God, I, I can't help but pray for all of those that are not here tonight and many because they're not feeling well and, and um, certainly have fears over what's, what's going on in our country and in our world. God, I pray that this would be something that um, those who have the ability to do this would just get a handle on this whole thing very quickly and that uh, we might be able to get the vaccines or whatever is needed, whatever is needed to help get this thing under control, to get things back to normal as quickly as we can. Now, the devil is doing this. He's allowing this. He's fighting it so hard to try to keep this chaos going because it does throw a lot of churches into chaos at the same time. You're stronger than all of these things combined. You're stronger than any situation. And so I pray that you help us to put our faith and our trust in you. God, I pray that you give us wisdom as we go, as we go forward and go through this situation. God, I, would, I do pray that you would keep anybody, especially those in our church, but, but uh, even, even our associates and everybody else, keep, keep us free from this whole uh, virus that's going around. I pray that nobody here would get it. And that, uh, that uh, in, in a week or month or however long this takes, when we come out on the other side, we'll be stronger because of it instead of weaker. I pray that you might use us the way that you want to use us to be a, a light to a dark world. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.